on the Fan Morning Show. Sports at 590, the fan, Ailish and Haley Salvian this morning. Justin Cuthbert's on vacay. You can always catch Haley hosting Hockey Central, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern. Sports at 960, and of course, we're running at The Athletic. Um, she's joining us today, Friday and today, bookending a busy weekend in sports. We talk about the most famous people <laughs> in the world. Uh, we got one of them next. It's not Brad Pitt. I just panicked. It's Frank Saravelli, oh. <laughs> NHL insider and president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. What's going on, Frank? What a letdown for everyone listening. No, no. Brad it's, Pitt? It's Brad Pitt's best friend, Frank Saravelli. Uh, we were just talking about <laughs> The Rock and The Sens before he brought you on because that would be a... Pretty, English thinks he's the most famous celebrity I, in the I world. I do think he is the most famous person in the world, yes. Yeah, he's. I think he's certainly up there when you consider worldwide appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, the list is like of people that are like uh, around seemingly everywhere you turn, whether it's social media, linear TV. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you who else is up there watching March Madness. It's Charles Barkley. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he's he's a big. We're big trying name. not to go athletes, but I guess The Rock's kind of an athlete too. He's yeah, depending well, how you feel star. about wrestling. Yeah. Well, he got his start in football too, mm-hmm. so. But I think yeah, I'd, I'd say he counts as an athlete, but he's more of an actor now. Yeah, yeah. we, we opened this man. up to our text line, and they're bringing in a lot of like athletes only. But yeah. and I if think it's in, an like, athlete, it's Leo Messi. Yeah. Like globally, it's Messi. I or mean, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Uh, Tiger, like anyway, this is yeah. Sub- we just went besides off. the is, point, but we just Frank is yeah, just tried. as popular as <laughs> The Rock. Um, but yes, apparently he's you know maybe connected with the top bidders for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, any real traction here? Is this just excitement around another Ryan Reynolds esque face headed in there, and maybe just keeping the Ottawa Senators buzz afloat? Yeah, I think he's just another. I, I don't know all the details, but sounds like another person that's sort of you know, connected on the, I don't know if auxiliary is the right term, connected on the side to this as a a face to it. Um, And, you know, could potentially be involved in in a big promotional way, which I think is kind of the point. Ryan Reynolds, you know, I don't know whatever happened with this, um, you know, billion-dollar Mint Mobile deal that he had, but... (laughs) You know, I don't know how financially connected he is to the bid. I, I think it was always more of a, hey, you'll come in and be our promotional arm, our promotional aspect of it. And it feels like even just from a pure business perspective, whether it's The Rock promoting his tequila or promoting the XFL or whatever it is, it seems like he's always got something on the go. And so Reynolds is kind of the same way as well. When do you think this is all going to conclude? Like, I don't know the timeline on selling a franchise, but it seems like that we're making progress. Like, should we have this by the summer? Like, what's the what's the timeline on this so we can see The Rock, you know, cut the ribbon on something new at the Sens Arena? It's it's weeks, not months. Um, This is honestly, I think it's it's actually moved a bit slower than everyone kind of anticipated. We were thinking we would start to see the first round of bidding in, you know, sort of late December. And it turned out they didn't really give access to their books until sometime in January. And so that happened. And then that followed sort of the first round of bidding. And then now we're into the second round, I think of bidding and the list gets chopped from, you know, 
16 team, 16 interested parties or 15 interested parties that saw the books to five to seven in the first round to now sort of three to five that are, you know, sort of in the next phase. And then my guess is it's going to come down to some finalists. And then the thing is, I don't think they want all of it being played out publicly. Um, I think they'd like some sort of, you know, secrecy to the process, at least to just try and keep it under wraps uh, as to who exactly is interested. And I'm always fascinated by the idea of um, whose name begins to leak out there. Cause I always think whenever you start to hear those names um, that those parties tend to be out um, because the NHL likes to play it out pretty privately. Hmm. Interesting. I feel like Ryan Reynolds, like, you know, Gary Bettman actually talking about Ryan Reynolds when he initially was into the fold was like a very unique thing for the NHL to actually hear Bettman say like, Mm -hmm. well, he would bring a lot to the league. Like that seemed like a very like, wow, I've never actually heard Gary talk about a potential owner like that because they like to keep everything kind of locked down. So that might be the only outlier is Ryan Reynolds, uh, you know, people talking about him and and keeping that Uh out in the open. Um, But, you know, moving on. Well, Haley, you got got to kiss the ring. Like you got to go and and meet with Gary in New York. You need to to do the whole, you need to do the dance. And Ryan Reynolds did that. So he got in line and. And was part of the process. Yeah. Uh, You know, one thing that, you know, this isn't going away in the NHL. Um, We wanted to talk about a bit of the Pride Nights with you here, Frank, because, you know, teams and players continue to opt out of, you know, either the events or wearing the jersey. You know, as we're kind of tracking this story, because there's still more Pride events to come, um, you know, as we're kind of tracking this, do you have a sense of what you know, what the league might be thinking here, you know, what might be coming next? Like what, what's kind of the next thing we're going to see as, you know, pride nights in the NHL continue to be, you know, a a massive conversation. Well, you said you don't think it's going away anytime soon and it might not be this season because I think there's still a couple more left to to play out. Mm -hmm. However, I would say my guess is that this all goes away next season for sure. Um, like they won't have I don't the games? Think, no, it's not that they won't have a pride night. It's just that my guess is they'll say, hey, moving forward, we're not doing any, you know, different sort of warm-up jerseys. You know, we're mm-hmm. not going to have – it's just going to be every team wears their game jersey for the warm-up as well no more special promotional jerseys, no more indigenous night, no more pride night, no more, you know, military appreciation, whatever it may be that you've worn special different warm-up jerseys for those that's not happening anymore. We're not putting the team, each of these teams in a position where as much as they want to promote uh, the good that they do in the community with these nights, we're not giving players the option to make a sort of personal or political statement um, on their own behalf in front of everyone to continue this conversation. That's, that's my guess. And that this will all go by the wayside and it won't be a topic of conversation next year. Cause you're going to go back to the, the point that you were at previously, which is left sort of guessing and wondering what the support is like. To me, that's really disappointing. Like if, I feel like the LGBTQ plus 
community is the one taking the hit for that because no one's opted out of wearing military jerseys or indigenous night jerseys. It's only been these pride games that have caused, you know, controversy or players having to, you know, stand up for what they believe in, whether it's right or wrong or whether they have the correct explanation or not, or whether they've worn a pride jersey in the past and have been caught on camera saying that they didn't. Like, I feel like just canceling all events really just shows that they weren't able to find a way to make this community feel welcomed in the NHL. Yeah, again, I, I don't think it's about canceling the event. I think Sorry, it's the jerseys, canceling the warm-up jersey part of it. Which is like the most visual part of, part of it, though, is it not? Like you come and you see the jerseys and then you see which player isn't wearing the jersey. Yeah, I, I guess. I would also argue um, before we were really paying attention to the jersey, I mean, how many – there's a, a, a very small chunk of fans that make it into the building in time for warm-ups mm-hmm. that actually end up seeing it. So my guess is this just became sort of its own thing once Ivan Provrov went down this path. Like, before this, were we keeping track? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think we were. We weren't monitoring it. Um, and it didn't pop onto our radar really until sometime this, you know, early this calendar year. So uh, it's not about support. The support is there. Um, and it feels like the support is there for, you know, 99% of the participants. It's a really, it feels like a small number that have sort of taken over and changed what these nights are supposed to be about. And instead of focusing about on, all of the people and the teams that do a great job um, in promoting and welcoming um, all types of people from all different communities into the rink with these special nights is that we end up focusing on the one person or two people on a team that don't participate. And that's where all the attention goes. And frankly, that's what it shouldn't be. Yeah. And I completely agree. I feel like these last couple games, um, you got to you got to expose a couple of players individually. You know, Eric and Mark Stahl, for example, declined to participate, but the rest of the Panthers went forward with their Pride Night jerseys, and I feel like that's that's a pretty that's the way it should be. In that, that's exactly where it should be as well, right? If your whole team decides not to, I feel like you're sheltering some players that should be, you know, able to talk about their beliefs, like whether you agree with it or not, or whether you're religious and you understand the, you know, repercussions of the Bible or the um, Russian players that have, you know, uh, issues back home, which I want to ask you about because NHL said that it seems like there's no players at risk um, in terms of like the Russian government, but I don't know how much they would know about that, right? Like I, I'm, I don't know if the well, Pulse they would Russia. know. Okay, so that, they're, that is, uh, they're following very closely, and there's security experts that work for the league that. You know, so then that's a legitimate in, reason. Yeah, it is. Okay. I mean, but so look at uh, it's, it. No, I'm saying it's not a legitimate reason to um, to not participate mm-hmm. because what about all the other Russian players that have. this season and last that have worn Pride Night jerseys that have had absolutely zero issue whatsoever? No, I see. This, that's where I'm just. I guess by just removing the issue of having to wear jerseys for anything, just seems like an easy answer that might not be the right one in a sense. And I understand that maybe not a lot of people are coming to warmups to watch, but those that are, that are a part of that community, maybe it's 10 each game. Like, I feel like that's, that's enough that might make communities feel welcome at an arena or not. And just removing the visual aspect of wearing a Jersey just seems like 
the easy thing for the NHL to do, um, but I understand that they can't force people to wear jerseys. I just wonder, like, well, the next couple games moving forward, if you're a team, like the Maple Leafs, I believe, have their Pride Night coming up. Like, I feel like there's got to be some anxiety or some thought about how to approach this because the PR of one player deciding not to, as you said, it really just, like, derails the entire event. Well, yes, and, and that's that's what makes the whole effort really tough to pull off in the sense that teams are sitting on pins and needles here being like, well, are we going to have full participation or not? And if we're not, how do we get ahead of this? How do we have this conversation? What's the proper statement to make? And so the easiest thing I think to do, and I'm not saying it's the right decision, it just feels like this is the sort of path that the NHL might take is just to say no one needs the black eye from this. You know, this doesn't need to be a conversation, a topic of conversation multiple times a week as it has been, you know, for the last few weeks now. Um, let's just remove the idea of the conversation whatsoever. That that feels like what the NHL's path would be. I think the teams that have gone ahead uh, and worn the jerseys despite um, certain players not participating, you know, deserve to be commended because mm-hmm. that's that was their plan. They want to actually show true support um, for the community and and they've done it. And if you don't want to participate, you have to answer for it yourself and deal with whatever repercussions may or may not come from it. I think the other path too, that hasn't really been talked about all that much is guess what? If you don't participate and you don't warm up, well, then you're not fit to be a professional hockey player that night. Mm-hmm. I'm Don't sorry, play. you can't play in the game. It's been wild to see people not warm up and then go and play. I don't think I've ever seen that before, so it's been... Uh... Name a sport that you could do that in. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, I'm not taking shoot-around today because I don't want to wear a certain warm-up jersey or outfit, mm-hmm. and I'm just, uh, I'm good. I'll just step right into the game. Like, huh? Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense. Um you know, obviously, some of the guys in the Edmonton Oilers have been pretty vocal in, you know, support of, of having Pride Night and, and saying, you know, everybody's welcome here. We heard Zach Hyman talking about it. We heard Connor McDavid talking about it. So, you know, kind of transitioning to to the Edmonton Oilers here for a second with you, Frank. Do you think Connor McDavid can hit 70 goals? He's got, what, nine games left to do it? <laughs> what do we think? McDavid 70? I think he's going to fall short. Okay. Uh, I think he's going to end up around 67 or 68. And it's been an incredible season to watch. He's got nine games left to your point. I'll tell you the one chase that I'm actually more interested in than Connor McDavid getting to 70. And that is, it's one that has not been talked about very much this year, but Leon Dreisaitl now has 28 power play goals. Mm-hmm. He's six away from the NHL single season record held by Tim Kerr, 1985-86. I thought a record that will never be broken. Think about it. 34 power play goals in one season. 34, any goals is a good season for anyone in the NHL, let alone 34 power play goals. The number of of power play goals that Dreisaitl has scored this year has flown way under the radar. If he's able to hit 30, 
Uh, he'll be the first player since Mario Lemieux in 1995-96. So he'd be the first player in the salary cap era. He's only two away. He's on pace for 32. If he has one of those magical nights, a two-power play goal night in the next nine games, um, you know, look out. Like this, he's closing in, knocking on the door. Like that record is, you know, is on the table. So to me, it hasn't gotten nearly enough love. That power play obviously has been special and it's yeah. been, you know, also a huge driver in, in what McDavid has, has put up as well. Uh, McDavid has 21 power play goals himself, 34, or sorry, 42 power play assists. So that's 63 points for McDavid on the power play out of his 139. Um, it's just, it's crazy to think about. It's wild that Mc, like. McDavid obviously is having a really special season. And then you look at Dreisaitl and he's already at 112 points. He's putting together, like he's on pace for another 50 goal season himself. I feel like Braden Point though might be cool, like the most like quietly on pace for a 50 goal player this season. He's at 45, 45 points. Has, are people talking about the season Braden Point's putting together right now? Maybe it's not something people want to hear in Toronto because they're going to be on a crash course <laughs> to meet in the first round, but Braden Point's having himself a season. He is, and I would say also quietly, Nikita Kucherov already crossing 100 points is another season that next to no one has been talking about. It's sort of like everyone shrugs, like, yep, Kucherov, good player, point you know, on pace for 50, good player. But those numbers are sort of eye-popping in their own right. And if you were to take, you know, the ridiculous numbers that McDavid is putting up this season and, frankly, Dreisaitl at that, um, we'd be talking a lot more about those. It's almost just that because he's at hundred, only 102 and McDavid is, you know, 30-some points ahead and point is, is already 15 goals behind McDavid, that they look paltry in comparison, but for everyone else, the sort of mere mortals in the NHL, uh, those numbers have looked pretty good. So, guys, I also have a confession to make. Oh. Um, I, whatever I said about Austin Matthews the last few weeks, <laughs> I'd like to, t- I'd like to take it back. Oh, uh, we've got it on, <laughs> we got it on tape, Frank. We're gonna re replay that in the playoffs or down the stretch here. But I think you're not. You alone. should. What did he I'll do? Tell you what, Saturday. He said he was. Uh, he you was know, a I've bust. been saying this for. <laughs> I no, I didn't say bust, but I <laughs> just for, kidding. For weeks, I was saying I can't believe that no one is talking more about mm. how disappointing Austin Matthews' season has listening. been, and it's almost. It, and I well, took that I, personally. I I was wondering if he was, um, because when you saw, and I'm sure you guys watched Saturday night, that is the first time all season long that I was like, oh my God, he's back. The 15 That's shots the on net. He, he, he had that, no matter, like, it was like the, the cool assassin, no matter what happens in this game, I'm going to be a threat every single time that I'm on the ice. Yeah. And that has not happened all season long. Like you've been waiting for it saying what's wrong with this guy. Where did this go mm-hmm. last year? Every single night it was like this guy, he's going to score six times. And Saturday night I was like, Oh, there it is. He, this is the first time I've been able to say all year long. He's back. Yeah. Maybe there's something to be said about, Hey, this regular season really didn't mean much and you can turn it on in the playoffs. And I think we were seeing that as a negative in a sense. Oh, Ma- I mean, Matthews he was also been- hurt. 
Yeah, of course. And we find that information out, which helps in terms of like giving a full perspective of this. But yeah, Saturday night and I think the last three games in general, he's looked back to heart trophy caliber Austin Matthews in a smaller sample size, 15 shots on one net. I mean, in one game is uh, pretty damn good. Um, he looks like he's turned it on for sure. The Maple Leafs need that. They've got John Tavares uh, producing on the power play. Alex Kerfoot noted two goal score in three games. Like things are looking good here in terms of that smaller sample size. But we were just talking about the one team from uh, Alberta. I want to talk about the other one, the Calgary Flames. Has anybody had more of a disappointing season than the Flames? Um, is that going to trickle into their head coach in terms of what's going to happen this off season? I just feel like there's so much excitement about what the Flames did or how they looked at the end of last season and this trickle effect of, I don't know, losing every single one goal game that you've ever been in really seems to have <laughs> deflated that fan base. Yeah, deflated is a good word. Perplexing is another. Um, it's been a really strange year to watch because, you know, uh, watching the games really closely, like you you see a team that clearly has talent and capability and can't string it together, and they play, even in games themselves, play really dominant stretches where they look really good, and either they're so incredibly fragile and they blow a lead or their goaltending lets them down at the wrong time or it's a 25-foot rebound right to the to the stick of the opposition <laughs> that it's just been one thing after the other. And so what that all boils down to, to me, is it, it feels like changes are coming. Um, I don't know whether that's on the coach side or the GM side, but even take something as you know simple as, Matt Coronado deciding to leave Harvard, their 2021 first round pick. Um, obviously a really talented player. He makes the decision to start his NHL career. He signs on Sunday and just getting a sense from talking to people involved in the conversations. Like they were like this, it feels awkward. Like it feels like changes are coming that it, you know, no one can quite put their finger on what it is or what the mood is, but it, it did have a trickle-down effect to even something like this where the player's like, is this is this the right time? Like, should yeah. I wait? Like, should I continue at, at Harvard for another year? Like, never a mistake to do that. Um, and then sort of see where things are at. Uh, obviously got enough assurance this year. And then, like, the next question is, okay, so Coronado flying to Calgary today to join the team – like, you can almost make the joke, like, oh, that's great, he's signed, but, like, is the coach actually going to play yeah, him he and does he know game? what number? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> does he know what number he wears? Like, I mean, that's sort of the way it's been this year for the Flames, and it's been disappointing on a million fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one more from me, Frank. Marty Walsh is going to be introduced at a press conference here in Toronto on Thursday. He's the new NHLPA executive director. We know kind of thanks to some some quotes and comments we heard from Gary Bettman at the GM's meetings back in Palm Beach that the NHL is open to negotiating next season salary cap number, lots of things up in the air with escrow, but they're open to having those conversations with the NHLPA. What are you expecting or, or how do you think Marty Walsh is going to kind of handle a pretty big first off season in this new role with the PA? Yeah, I feel like we're going to learn a lot about Marty Walsh, Haley, and how he's going to approach this job based on the way that first order of business is handled. Is the PA going to dig in and fight? 
Is the PA going to, you know, come to some sort of easy accord? Is this going to be a long and drawn out process? When you hear Gary Bettman say that the NHL is open to negotiating and he throws out the bat signal, that is, that's not like a, Hey, so great to see you and meet you. Let's, let's all get dinner and hang out. It's, we want something. We've seen this act for 30, like literally 30 years now. We know what, um, you know, we have an idea of what the NHL is looking for. And I reported it um, a couple of weeks back when this idea first surfaced. The league is basically looking for the NHLPA to roll over on a few HRR claims that are outstanding from the last few years. And those books have not been closed from previous seasons because of that. I don't know the exact total of dollars that the NHL is, is looking for sort of the NHL PA to sign off for on those claims. I'm told it could be as high as, uh, as nine figures, meaning, you know, hundred million dollars or more. We'll see. And, and sort of how that path is navigated by Marty Walsh, I think will be a really fascinating insight into how his tenure might play out. And it's going to be interesting just to see also what he says in general. A lot of people view this position for Marty Walsh as someone who's become a career politician now as just sort of a a stopover point between uh, the Department of Labor to what? Is he going to run for governor? Is he going to run for Senate? Like Who knows what's next for Marty Walsh? And is it a long-term you know, Don Fear was in the post for almost 11 years at the NHLPA, way longer than anyone expected. No one really has any sense yet as Marty Walsh, I believe, arrives in Toronto today for the first time to get a lay of the land and meet with NHLPA executives in the flesh in Toronto for the first time. No one really knows what to think. Maybe we should head down there and ask him, Haley. What do you think? I mean, I might head down there, but I'm not going to ask. <laughs> well, that's your, someone else That's that. your role as a journalist. See what's, what's yeah. up with them. <laughs> yeah, my role covering the NHLPA. I'm sure somebody else will do that. Uh, Frank, one last one for you here. Um, you mentioned a couple NCAA to NHL signings has happened. Um, any with specifically with playoff teams that we should be interested in? Obviously, we know Matthew Nyes. But we got the Frozen Four set this weekend. QPAC, Michigan, Minnesota, Boston. A couple teams now have ended their seasons. Anyone we should keep an eye on? on this week by the way you mentioned the frozen four it's some like legit blue blood teams oh yeah uh big boy teams that are in that different frozen than, four and, uh, than ncaa uh final the four basketball right? final yeah four. march madness for sure yeah it's totally different these are like the legacy programs mm-hmm. um and there's frankly a lot of star power that comes with that i think um you know my eye and i think specifically a lot of people are focused on Uh, Matt Nyes and what happens with Minnesota and and obviously he's expected to join the Leafs after the fact and they've accounted for him to do so my question is how much of an impact is he going to make and he's not the only one that's expected to join a playoff team Luke Hughes uh, leaving Michigan as well that's expected to happen and he's going to join the New Jersey Devils how much will these guys play and it's interesting because when you have the first year of that contract burned um, teams want to see how well adjusted you are to the NHL. So I'll give you another example. And he was talked about a lot less 
um, and understandably so because Coronado was a first-round pick in Calgary. But a player that had more points than him this year, Alex LaFerriere, um, on the Harvard team, he's joining the Los Angeles Kings. So he signed his entry-level contract uh, to leave Harvard on Sunday as well. And the Kings are bringing him in even as a third-round pick. He's going to go to, I believe the plan is for him to go to AHL Ontario for a few games. And then they want him playing NHL regular season games for a team, a Kings team that's, you know, in the hunt for a division title. They want him playing NHL regular season games before this calendar is up mm. so that he can then potentially, if need be, step into the Stanley Cup playoffs if they feel like he's ready. And some players are more well-adjusted, more ready to go uh, than others. So everyone wants to get a sense of that really before uh, you get to the playoffs just in case you need him. That's a lot of pressure, but uh, these kids are, as you said, blue blood teams. Um, Harvard was a great one as well. They didn't make it all the way, but uh, a lot of great talent. We'll know by next time we talk on Monday morning who the national champion is, and then we can talk all about when Matthew Nyes makes his trip to Toronto. One more week. April 6th is the uh, it's one more additional weekend, so oh, two Mondays. Boo. I thought it was this weekend. I know I heard. Well, that's the month. thing. That's why everyone was watching the, you know, the NHL teams were watching this weekend. That's right. You know, Michigan goes to overtime last night that against Penn State, mm-hmm. and that was the best game of the tournament so far. And they're saying the Devils are like, oh man, are we actually getting this guy this <laughs> week, as opposed to having to wait another ten days or thirteen days? Yeah, well, it'll be worth the wait for some teams um, here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to keep keep waiting for Matthew Nyes. Uh, Frank, appreciate you joining us this morning, as always, every Monday, and have a great week. Yeah, you too, guys. Take care. Frank Sarvelli, NHL Insider and President of Hockey Content at DailyFaceOff.com. Can't believe you have to wait another week. I forgot about that whole <laughs> buffer period. Yeah, it's okay. The anticipation is real. Um, all right, it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. We've been trying to put into perspective, I think all season long, just the year that Mitch Marner has had. Um, he's been the Maple Leafs MVP. I think it's easy to state that, nonetheless, um, over the last little stretch. A lot of other people putting themselves in that conversation in terms of smaller sample sizes, but Mitch Marner threw 500 games with Maple Leafs, and he hit that milestone Mm -hmm. yesterday. He ranks 18th in goals, but first in assists and first in points and second in power play points. So in his first 500 games with the Maple Leafs, he's made history already with some of the best stats in Leafs franchise history. First in assists, first in points, um, with 549 points through the first 500 games as Maple Leafs. So he's already well on his way to being a Leafs legend, <coughs> question mark. Where will he rank? Get the statue planned out? Hang the jersey from the rafters? I'm just saying, first 500 games, looking like he's locked up a couple first-place rankings in Leafs history. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, it's hard to to, you know, make these proclamations when the career is not over yet. Of course. Uh, but yeah, so far he is tracking pretty well, to say the least, for Mitch Marner. Um, I think my favorite thing about his 500th game was the um, the header. Yeah. The the headed assist that he almost, that that almost was. Kelly Arn- oh my God, he got absolutely robbed by Kevin Lincoln. In. Mm. That save was incredible. Um just kind of stole away the the header assist from us from Mitch Marner in game 500. That would have been special. That's that's called using your head. I think he like talked um, at intermission with Sean McKenzie, and Sean was like, "What what what happened there?" 
It's like, well, I didn't have any other way to play the puck forward, so I just figured. He's watching a lot of World this Cup. This is what was that was what was readily available to him. So he just you know had a little hop, pumped himself in the head, nice little pass. He would have been leading the Leafs in franchise history in header assists in the first five hundred. Is that games. true? I don't, I don't know. know. Just made that up. Somebody we'll roll the Sports, tape. We'll ask Sportsnet stats yes. to tweet it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, Daryl Sittler actually did it four times. Oh God, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Um, all right, we got winners and losers on the other side of the break, and then Blake Murphy joins us at 8 o'clock. Atiba Hutchinson, speaking of headers, joins us at 8.30 before we do Awake and Rake. So send your picks in at 5.95.90. We got no Toronto sports in tonight, but you got NHL, NBA, and you can get creative with wherever else you go. We'll get that all sorted at the 8.40 time. Winners and losers on the other side of the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 The Fan. Happy Monday. Hope you all had a great weekend. We're here with Haley. And Ailish Haley filling in for today. Brent gunning the next four days before Justin's back in a week. We got opening week for the MLB and your Toronto Blue Jays started this week. I cannot wait. They got their home opener. Not this week, not next week coming soon. Um, we're very excited to have them back here yeah. at the renovated Rogers center. You know, that's the 11th. you know who tried to get home opener tickets like yesterday? Yeah. I think those have been gone this for a while. Idiot. <laughs> it's been a little while. When did those go on sale? A long time ago. <laughs> wakey, like, wakey, bud. <laughs> home opener? We'll I'll see maybe what we I'll, can do. Maybe I'll go to that. It might be secondary market for Idiot. you, unfortunately. But uh, it's going to be jam-packed. Excited to see. And that's my first winner is Alec Manoa. So we talked about this Friday. We teed up who was going to be the Blue Jays opening day starter. The MLB did a, you know, a rollout, which I thought was really a smart idea. Um, but the Blue Jays had their own opportunity to tell Alec Manoa that he was going to be dubbed the opening day starter and lines up to be the home opener starter. Now, not that's not confirmed that's going to happen. But if you look at the, you do the math. The math is math in that Alec Manoa would also be the home opener starter. So an incredible honor for him, a guy that has already, you know, surpassed expectations, I believe, in his young career. Last year, Cy Young candidate, like he has really, really solidified himself as one of the young faces of Toronto sports in general. Um, his playoff performance was something that, you know, a lot of people thought, did he... Did he crumble under the limelight? Was it too much for him? I think this is an incredible opportunity to prove people wrong, to say, hell no. You know, I uh, I am the guy. I can walk the walk. I can talk the talk. He's extremely proud. He's worked really, really hard this offseason. Everything you see coming out of Alec Mendoza's social media is full of confidence. For him to get the vote uh, to be the home opener and well, opening day starter is really great. I actually have the clip, too, of the Blue Jays telling him about this, obviously, a really special moment. Um, let's play that now. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Super. I think it brings me and Pete and probably everyone else in the locker room really great pleasure to say you're going to be pitching a really big game, which is opening day for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's make this a habit. Yeah, let's make this the first of many opening day starts for you. I can't. So there's no decision anymore, right? <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thank you. Well. Thank you, Snacks. Congrats, buddy. Thank you. Proud of you. Cool. He's smiling a lot. 
Just in case you're wondering. He's smiling a lot. I'm trying to be humble, but I like that. Let's make this a habit. Like, let's make this not to be a decision. Let's make this so you are solidified as our opening guy. guy. And it was really between him and Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman's the vet, and he's done it before. But, you know, a really big moment for Alec Manoa coming up this week. Looking forward to seeing him own it because... This is a season where the big guys, the faces of this franchise, got to own the moment. And so that starts with Alec Manoa, and he's the big winner for me from this weekend. Yeah, well, when you think of, like, what success looks like for the Blue Jays this year in the short-term, long-term future, like, who's the guy for the Blue Jays? It's Alec Manoa, so why not give him give him that spot as, as the opening day guy? And then, yeah, home opener as well that I won't be at. I'm the first we'll loser find of the you day. To get there. It's fine. No, it's during Women's World Championships, so. True. I'm going to be in Brampton. Uh, my first winner, I'm going to go, I mean, with the actual winners, the Toronto Six. Hell yeah. From the Premier Hockey Federation. They win their first ever Isabel Cup last night in an OT thriller against the Minnesota Whitecaps. That's their first PHF championship. Uh you know, they were the number two team heading into the postseason. The Toronto Six were uh, Boston Pride were the reigning champions. They got upset in the semifinals by the Minnesota Whitecaps, who Toronto faced in the final game. That was in Tempe. That was at the Mullet. That was at Mullet Arena on Sunday night. Uh, it was a, it was a fun game actually. Um, the Toronto Six tied the game three three to force overtime with like nine minutes to go in the third period, and then it was Teresa Vanasova who scored the OT winner on like a really incredible individual effort. She outmuscles uh, Liz Shepers from the Minnesota Whitecaps in the offensive zone. So Shepers has the puck. She's trying to break it out. It's Teresa. three on three. Three-on-three OT, by the way, which is always fun. Interesting. Um, I want to ask you about that after. If we like three-on-three OT to decide a championship. I I honestly don't love it, especially not at the international level. And I've spoken to players who were like, I don't like going (laughs) right to (laughs) three-on-three OT. Um, But it made it fun in in this event. And obviously at at Mullet Arena, it made it, you know, the the energy and the atmosphere was fun. Um, But yeah, Shepard gets the puck picked off her by... Vanasova, and then she finishes off the goal. Big dog and they pile. Win. Big dog. Yeah, I was like I a little worried. I was something. like, "Are you hurt? Yeah. She get hurt? Looks like." Anyways, I wonder if they'll do something gentle. here in Toronto to celebrate. Yeah, so uh, Toronto Six they win the PHF championship. So those are those are my first winners. Congratulations to the Toronto Six. Yeah, and uh, first time a hockey championship has come to the city of Toronto. You are, that is the, the city gen- of Markham. GTA, those are yeah, different. I, was, I I know GTA, Toronto. The you know, GTA women's has been winning the GT, the women's pro teams in the greater Toronto area have continue done well. to win championships. It did make me nervous thinking about when uh, Blair Turnbull was at the bottom of a dog pile when they won the world championships and she broke her leg. So just be careful, everyone. Um, yes. And right around the corner from the world championships, which are happening. Ooh, oh, so close. Haley will be there often. Uh, shout out to Erin Ambrose, who's listening to the show, as always. She already she? texted me saying, what's up? She loves the show with me and you in it. So go girl, go girl power. Um, Hi, Erin. Hey, Erin. <laughs> Excited to keep this going uh, with the World Championships just around the corner. Okay, winner for me, um, Kent Johnson. So <laughs> Blue Jackets, Kent Johnson, he scores the Michigan he successfully pulled off this play at every level except for college where he played for the University of Michigan, oh. which is very fun. Loser. Um, come on, right? <laughs> he pulls off the Michigan in the NHL, even though he 
went to Michigan and couldn't pull it off in Michigan. Anyway, uh, Blue Jackets end up winning 5-4 in overtime. That wasn't the OT winner. That would have been incredible. But uh, it's just funny. This guy, uh, he's known for the Michigan, went to Michigan, couldn't do it in Michigan, but once again, does it. He did it at the World Juniors, et cetera. He did it in BCHL. Um, so are you saying he's a loser? I'm saying he's a winner for doing it in the okay. show. But it's too bad he didn't get to do it when he played for Michigan. Yeah. So Ken Johnson, winner. Uh, okay, my next winner... Who am I going to go? Actually, you know what? I'm going to go loser here. I'm going to switch it up. There's too much positivity happening. Yeah, we can't have that, eh? Uh, losers. Everyone who watched the LSU Miami women's basketball Oof. game yesterday. That was tough. LSU wins. They're a good team. They're headed to the Final Four for the first time since 2008. LSU wins 54-42 the final. That was a bad game. It was not good. Angel Reese, very good. Very good for LSU. I am glad to see the Tigers moving on, but that was not, that was a very bad offensive basketball game. What do you make of the Miami Can, girls, the twins? They're like social media stars. Oh. <laughs> it's a lot of TikTok happening. Yeah, in that lots team. of TikToks going on. Caitlin Clark almost had more points than the entire Miami team did it's yesterday. And the coach of the LSU Tigers, um, you know, she went on for, I think it was like the ESPN walk-off interview at half or you know, between the quarters and, you know, coach, what do you think about the game? She's like, if I was watching at home, I would turn the TV off. <laughs> okay. It was not good. It was not good. It was very sloppy. Lots of turnovers. Nobody was hitting their shots. Congratulations to the Tigers. But that I am a loser because I, I, I watched that game and it was bad. Okay. Let me give you a winner then um, to even things out. 37 people somehow nailed the final four. In their bracket challenge. Out of 20 million people. The men's one? This random. In 20 oh million my. people, 37 of them correctly predicted who would be in the final four, which is Jeez. already, as we teed up, uh, the second highest collective seeding of NCAA March Madness final four. Wow. 37 people picked that. Obviously, they didn't get their brackets correct. Like That, that was out day one. But 37 people picked these four teams to be there in the final. Um, it's actually a lot more than I thought yeah. would be there. That's How do they a, do that? It's a pretty incredible amount. Maybe they made like multiple brackets, but certainly some madness has happened this tournament. Uh, we got an exciting finish here between these four guys, uh, these four teams in the final four. But uh, 37 people were right. Kudos, because I was wrong a long time ago. <laughs> I, did, I, I forgot to fill up my bracket. So you so, are a loser then? No, actually, I'm a winner because you can't have a busted bracket if you don't fill one out in the first place. Very true. And I've been living a very happy life on my couch just watching with no stress. Uh, let me give you another one here. <laughs> okay. I'll give you some more winners. Um, the Bruins, they played against the Carolina Hurricanes without Brad Marchand or Patrice Bergeron or Lindholm, and they still won their seventh straight game around pace for 134 points. Yeah, they're a wagon. They don't play with some of their best players in franchise history, too. And they win their seventh straight against Carolina Hurricanes, who are clawing their way, uh, looking for points as well. Bruins are just, like, just coasting at an incredible pace, seven straight wins on pace for 134 points. So winners because they seriously can't lose. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, they're they're resting guys already for the postseason. Like, load managing and, your way to wins is, yeah. is pretty outstanding. I mean, they're good. Their depth is wild. Like, that's why the Bruins just, like, they they were almost the winners of the trade deadline because the NHL's best team somehow found a way to get better. Yeah. And I don't know. There's a – I keep saying that the Bruins are giving me 
like Golden State Warriors vibes in the Ooh. sense that look just wire to wire dominance, but at the same time, how many times is like the best team in the NHL well, actually the gone Trophy all curse, the way? You know? Yeah, like how many times have they gone all the way to win the Stanley Cup? We'll see. There's a reason that doesn't happen all the time. It's a grind. I mean, the postseason's not easy. They've got some guys who are banged up. They got some guys who are older. We'll see. But I wouldn't bet at all. I wouldn't bet against the Boston Bruins either, though. But the Carolina Hurricanes, they they lose Svechnikov, mm-hmm. and obviously Pacioretty comes back. He's going to be their big, you know, deadline injection of skill, and then he gets hurt again. So that's disappointing. And I think last season the Carolina Hurricanes, their big problem in the postseason was that their their goal scoring dried up, and they couldn't get big goals when they needed it. And those are two huge producers that are not going to be in the lineup in the postseason. I still think the Canes are great, very good. They're still second in the league. Mm. You know, like the, they don't care. They beat the Leafs and then they lose the Bruins in back-to-back games. They're fine. Uh, Do you have any more? Because I got a couple if you don't. I, I mean, I already talked about Caitlin Clark, mm-hmm. but she was one of my winners. Most definitely. Like massive winner. You know, sports again, only women's or men's player in history to have a 40-point triple-double in the NCAA tournament. She did that last night in the Elite Eight and I was headed to the Final Four for the first time in three decades. If you can't tell, I watched a lot of women's hoops last night. And hey, it was great. It was good viewing. Um, Ken Griffey Jr., this one's a hot tip to Daniela who sent me this. He's 53 years old. He hasn't played in the MLB in over a decade, all right? He's going to be the fourth highest paid player for the Reds this season, making $3.59 million thanks to deferred payment agreement extension with the Reds in 2000. He's going to be making the fourth highest amount on the Reds he hasn't played in a decade. Now that is nice retirement life. <laughs> Just mailing it in, 10 years removed from the game, still making $3.5 million would be nice. I mean, um, Rick DiPietro still getting paid by the Islanders. And it's funny, right? When you like go through these and there's <laughs> there's players that haven't played or like on IR for like six years, yeah. keeping cap space for teams, oh, yeah. <laughs> Arizona Coyotes. One more here, Lars Nubar. Um, So the World Baseball Classic in general was just massive win. Um, Obviously, we all fell in love with a lot of players and a lot of teams and a lot of uh, baseball stole our hearts. And Lars Nubar had 60,000 Instagram followers before he played for Japan for the World Baseball Classic. How many do you think he has now? He started with 60,000. Two million. Uh, One million. I hate when someone like... You guess, and it's like way over, Ooh, right? You're what like, happened to the other one It's like, million. oh, it's just one million. But anyway, he gained that many. Good for him. He's a winner. And I saw the um, World <laughs> Baseball Classic as we teed it up, uh, I guess a week ago. It was going to be the most watched baseball game probably of all time. 42.4% of Japanese households watched the final game. That's awesome. 42% of Japanese households great watched game. the final game. That's uh, the game was also at 8 a.m. local time, so you just nice little show up a little late to work. No coffee, problem. little coffee. Watch Shohei Otani go to work. Beautiful, not bad. Um, all right, so we got Blake Murphy on the other side of the break. We're going to do some Blue Jays tee up with him. Of course, it's opening week, um, opening day down the road here with Alec Manoa getting the ball for the season opener on Thursday in St. Louis. The Blue Jays aren't starting at home for another little little trek here as they finish up the Rogers Center, um, get the big home opener, I believe, on the 11th of April. Lots to tee up Blue Jays-wise. We'll also go through the Toronto Raptors with him. You know, he's versatile. He's got it all. Uncovered, um, and then we'll talk to Atiba Hutchinson at eight thirty. 
Lots of uh, excitement around the Canadian men's soccer team who have been playing um, in CONCACAF Nations League action. Their first game since the World Cup back in November, so they're back in action. We'll talk to the team, and then we'll do the wake and rake quick one at 845. So send in your picks at 595.90, and we'll get to all of that in the next hour.